everybody, and welcome to Nintendo Week for the Endo Week of October 13th through October 18th. We're actually recording at the Endo Week this week, and I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. You've cut me in weekend zombie mode this week. And Ben Lamoureux. Powered by industry-leading potato chips. And this week by a very special guest, Liam Robertson. Uh, you may know Liam as Tamaki from Unseen 64. How are you, Liam? I'm pretty good. Uh, I don't have a catchphrase, I'm afraid. I'm, I was unprepared for that, so... <laughs> That's quite all right. <laughs> we usually make ours up on the fly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we've got a little bit of a shorter news segment for you listeners this week because uh, after the break, we're really digging in with Liam on Unseen 64. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of the stuff he's uncovered as part of that team over the years, uh, including some rumors of Shovel Knight and Smash, uh, Banjo-Kazooie stuff, Kid Icarus, Metroid, tons more. And of course, we're going to talk about Nintendo, the, their current direction, their future. It's going to be a great time. But for now, let's dig into some juicy news this week. We've got some big news on NX, some good stuff on Triforce Heroes, Pokemon Go, and more, so let's get started. The Wall Street Journal is reporting some new information about NX, most importantly that Nintendo is sending out dev kits to third-party studios. The timing is particularly interesting since rumors we heard back in the summer stated that NX would begin production in October, and here we are. They also say that the NX will contain, quote, industry-leading chips, as Nintendo has taken criticisms about Wii U's tech to heart and wants to make a really, really powerful console. Finally, they confirm the long-running rumors that NX will feature a companion device that you can play with the console at home or take on the go as its own unit. The Wall Street Journal also says Nintendo is planning to launch the NX in 2016, although that last bit of information is based on inside analysis and speculation rather than their confirmed sources. Interestingly, for me, at the same time that uh, this rumor came out, uh, Nintendo launched a developer-focused website. The URL is developer.nintendo.com. Most of it just talks about, like, here's what we're doing for developers, and here's what we're doing for publishers, and here's the tools we have for Wii U and 3DS. Um, But there's this this interesting thing that they uh, listed among their development tools, and it's called the Nintendo Dev Interface. It looks like some kind of IDE, like a streamlined Nintendo experience for building games. Uh, But what interested me about this is uh, it says you can tailor the NDI client to the platform you're developing for, the SDK you want, even the region you're working in. And what intrigued me about this is what Nintendo said about NX when they first discussed the concept is it's going to be a multiple device sort of platform and a development experience like this where you can kind of just pick whichever SDKs you want. SDKs are software development kits uh, that you use for specific platforms. It sounds like they're going for a sort of one-size-fits-all sort of approach to development and this would kind of make it easier to move software between different form factors. Yeah, so that seems to corroborate a lot of uh, what the Wall Street Journal is saying. Assuming that this NDI client has to do with NX, it could just be a tool for making right. cross-platform Wii U 3DS games, but... But who does that? Right, and it, it is it is listed alongside those two, so I imagine uh, that this tool is used for 3DS and Wii U, but probably NX as well, because if you're so close to launching a new console, at least to the point where you're, you're sending out dev kits, then uh, obviously the new tools you're designing should be compatible with that as well. Right. Now, uh, one of the interesting things that, that's come out of this is uh, the whole, you know, industry-leading chips um, that, that Nintendo really wants to make a powerful console. Uh, the journalist who wrote this piece actually clarified um, that they heard from an inside source who's seen a tech demo from NX that it was extremely impressive and would be impossible to have accomplished without cutting-edge hardware. Now, Liam, I know... Uh, one of the big things that you've got attention for in the past is uh, these comments on Twitter that said Nintendo is not actively trying to compete with PlayStation 4. I'm wondering if you have uh, some thoughts on this. this um, well, I'm kind of 
kind of skeptical about it, but the way they've worded this this whole article, uh, from what I remember, was very vague and like industry leading chips. What mm-hmm. does that mean? You know, that's right. that's completely subjective. And um, so, so, yeah, it remains to be seen what this actually means. It's just kind of like a load of rumour for now. But this does contrast with what I've heard. And I will say this, I've spoken to engineers who are actually working on this right now. On the NX. Yeah, yeah, on whatever that is. And um, yeah, this just doesn't mesh with what I've heard. What they were saying was that, you know, it's not going to be a weak console by any means, but they're definitely not trying to be, you know, a a powerhouse uh, competing with the PS4. And that was the kind of the general sentiments of uh, what they were saying in regards to how powerful it was. And um, I I sort of get the impression from what they were saying, they were being very vague uh, as well, I must say, because, you know, nobody wants to let the cat out of the bag this early. But they were kind of hinting at that it will, I think he said something like it would do something that nobody's ever done before. So there's no kind of like precedent for it. There's no kind of point of comparison. So I kind of get the impression that we could see something very unique like it is, you know, part handheld, part home console. That kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, that w- that Yeah, I could see that maybe happening. That sounds a bit Nintendo-y, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I imagine whatever, you know, kind of new uh, gimmick or whatever they've got planned for it will, you know, that will add on to the total costs. And Nintendo yeah. Nintendo got bit with the Wii U. They, they, they made it too expensive and it was just out of reach to a lot of people who were planning to buy the PS4 and the Xbox One. So I think they're going to go, you know, like like they did, they did with the Wii. They're going to uh, angle it as a, as like a, a lower cost console, I think if it is I a see. console. Yeah, and you know, in uh, in clarifying the whole industry leading chips thing, it it doesn't sound like the Wall Street Journal source has seen a spec sheet or anything. It sounds like they just watched a demo, and based on the demo, they believe it has industry leading chips. So, but you know, a demo it can be a little deceiving, not you know maliciously so, but just when you have something pre rendered, you know, running as a demo that's being watched by people that are then going to go talk about it. Obviously, you're going to put your but your best foot forward. You're going to have something really impressive looking prepared. Ben, when have game companies ever misled the marketplace with unrealistic <laughs> tech demos? That has never happened. But you know, I remember when uh, Wii U was first shown off at E3 2011, and they had this this demo of like a bird flying over a lake and landing on a tree and everyone was just blown away by how beautiful that looks but what you see in a tech demo isn't necessarily representative of what you will see in games being blown away by a tech demo isn't proof that the hardware is you know above playstation 4 xbox one it's just proof that it's decent hardware and that nintendo knows how to throw a tech demo together right so i'm i'm Assuming, just given this conversation, that that we're all sort of on the same page, it's likely not quite up there still uh, with the other the other consoles. Because I know a lot of people, uh, for example, Liam, when you were saying that they were not trying to compete with PlayStation Four, a lot of people were sort of clinging to this idea. Well, it means that they're going to be a lot better than PlayStation Four. Like PlayStation Four yeah. won't even be able to compete with Nintendo. Um, that's that's very that's, wishful thinking. Yeah, projecting yeah. on the part and of I those ju- I just want to you know it seems to be we're all all on the same page that that's still wishful thinking. You know, even though these reports are saying that it's cutting edge technology, it's not quite going to be you know leaps and bounds ahead of what we have. No, that's just 
it's just not viable to do that to yeah. you know to put out this like mega powerful console right. that outperforms the PS4 and that it's just there's no market for that uh, for Nintendo. I mean, a lot of the people who who buy Nintendo consoles are families and that kind of thing, and it's I I, I mean I, I don't mean to devalue Nintendo's products, but uh, you know. A lot of like kids buy them and that kind of thing, and uh, it's like a lower cost alternative to the to the other consoles and that kind of thing with the, the you know the 3ds and the DS and that kind of thing. So I I just I just can't see them doing that. I think it's it's a bit suicidal to go with like really right. powerful console. And because I, it's I in the middle of a generation, that. it's you know that that makes the need that they will have to persuade people that it's worth upgrading to their console that much greater. And you know if it's if it's just going to be sort of on par with like PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, that's going to be a really tough sell. Nintendo's yeah. audience is used to, you know, the cheaper stuff and and mm-hmm. Nintendo tries to appeal to families that are on a budget and things like that. So if they go if they if they're trying to keep their own audience, then going too expensive is going to be a problem. And if they're trying to attract a new audience, if they want to attract those people that are are willing to spend 400 plus dollars on a console, well now you're competing with Microsoft and Sony directly and on their own turf instead of sort of just having your own little side audience. Right. And Microsoft and Sony have been marketing expensive consoles for a decade now they know how to get people to buy expensive tech whereas that would be pretty new territory for nintendo yeah 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 Yeah. i I think that was what i was trying to say just expressed a lot more eloquently (laughs) (laughs) so i think we would all agree too that uh nintendo's biggest challenge for the next generation is really uh having wide platform market share because right now they've they've really got a divide between their console and their handheld and they, one of the, the ways that they could sort of bridge that divide is making that cross-platform architecture so that everyone's buying into the same ecosystem. So I could see the industry-leading chips being not industry-leading in the sense of, like, power performance, but in, in the sense of scalability uh, between, like, a console and a, and a more mobile sort of architecture. Yeah, they definitely could have something like that, but that doesn't sound like what this source was saying. They were saying industry leading based on a demo, which you know, that's a little different yeah. territory. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because we have these sort of, sort of divergent sources where one of them is telling us, Oh, it's industry leading, but they're not clarifying. And then another source is telling us, Oh, it's impressive, but there's no real clarity on what the bridge between those two is. Right. Yeah. So you're all surely aware how much more attention Pokemon go is getting than your average mobile game. And it looks like it's getting just as much more funding. Nintendo, the Pokemon Company, and Google are all investing heavily in Pokemon Go and in Niantic, the company behind it. Between the three companies, it currently has $20 million in funding and a promise of another $10 million as it reaches certain milestones. Nintendo stock got a nice little 4% boost after this news, putting it at its highest point in a little over a month. So this is getting a lot of support for this this mobile game. Yeah, and according to uh, an industry analyst, they, they sort of clarified on that stock jump and said that investors see it as proof that Nintendo is getting serious about mobile games if they're willing to invest millions into Niantic. And of course, investors have been uh, pushing them to to be more serious about mobile games for probably at least four or five years now. And not only that, this becomes Mm. one of their first sort of major mobile projects. I know Pokemon Shuffle is already on mobile, but uh, that was a game that started life on 3DS. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is the first mobile exclusive. And and we've, we've talked before about how it's really ambitious for Nintendo's first sort of Nintendo branded mobile game. Absolutely. Now, to clarify uh, to listeners, Pokemon Go is not part of that five-game plan they have with DNA. You know, I suppose it shouldn't be too surprising that uh, this is happening, given that uh, the Pokemon company was originally calling the conference that they announced this game at as a conference for, quote, a new business strategy. So, um, you know, they're they're clearly 
putting a lot on lot of their resources into this. Um, do we wonder, does, you know, how well does this speak to the actual quality of the final product? Well, it's, it's hard to say just because we haven't seen any uh, gameplay footage at all. And of course, right. we don't know, you know, what all those those funds are going to. We don't know how much of that is going into development or other costs and things like that. So it's hard to say. But, you know, like the uh, the investor analyst said, this this clearly shows a commitment if they're willing to put yeah. $30 million into, uh, you know, a company that just makes mobile games. Yeah, so. for sure. And yeah, when you when you talk about um, the conference being called in order to announce a new business strategy, they also said that going forward, they're they're sort of going to be evaluating all future Pokemon spinoff games to decide if they would work best on a dedicated handheld device like 3DS or on a mobile platform like phones and tablets. So we could see a pretty big shift possibly in just the Pokemon strategy in general towards leveraging cell phones and tablets. Yeah. Especially if Pokemon Go is successful early on. Yeah. Bring on Detective Pikachu. Oh, man. I <laughs> forgot about that one. I think everyone forgot about that one. Yeah. Is that even still... <laughs> hey, Unseen 64, is that canceled? <laughs> uh um i don't know maybe that's a weird that's a weird one isn't it yeah I, I'll I, say. i've heard nothing about that I, I don't know but interesting i'd speculate given that hasn't been seen in about two years so i i think that's maybe either like shelved or... somewhat safe to say that it's either been cancelled or taken on a new life uh, i i i don't know it probably has I, mm-hmm. i'd say it's it's been too long i, I think yeah I'm kind of interested in, in Google's involvement. I know uh, Niantic is kind yeah. of a, a spinoff of a Google lab from, from a, f- a couple of years back. Uh, but, but, but it kind of makes me wonder whether Nintendo is really looking beyond DNA uh, in terms of, like, services partners. Because uh, Google is, like, the king of web services. And in particular, location services, uh, which we're seeing uh, have a big role in Pokemon Go. So I'm wondering if that Google's large investment in Niantic and Nintendo's large investment in Niantic means that they're really interested in pushing location-based services into other games beyond just Pokemon Go. Right, well, and especially because DNA is such a heavily Japan-centric company that it would make sense to uh, bring on a, a Western partner as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's something we haven't really seen before, specific, particularly in terms of like web sort of services. Yeah, I think that's a good point about the the, the uh, location services. I think that'll be something that probably manifests itself in in Pokemon Go. That that would be that would be interesting if you could have like you know events going on at uh, specific places uh, tied to like check in things and that kind of that kind of stuff on your phone. That sounds a lot like Animal Crossing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Huh. They've got a lot of opportunities here. I think. Yeah. Mm. So Chibi Robo's been on the hot seat lately as Ziplash is here, and a lot of fans seem to be pretty upset at the big change in direction that that game brings for the series, and at the lackluster showing it gives for that direction. But the assistant producer, Risa Tabata, has also explained that the part of the reason that they decided to make a 2D platformer is because they wanted to make it accessible for children, and a 3D Chibi Robo game would be too complicated for that audience. <laughs> Um, so do they realize that, that the N64 lost a lot of their, their older audiences and gained a lot of kids, you know, the first 3d console left their old fans behind, not the new ones. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I was playing Ocarina of Time perfectly fine when I was like eight years old. Right. How young is this target audience? (laughs) Well, and I also wonder how how young really is the average Chibi Robo fan because you know that series started uh, on GameCube and it's always been a very small niche series anyway. So I would imagine that most of the fans of it are just sort of the the dedicated fans that have played the original quite a few years ago. I, does yeah. does it have this like large following of really young fans that just I don't know about? 
I mean, maybe. Yeah, I guess it's, 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 it's a chibi but... robo fan is probably between like seventeen and twenty five, maybe, but not. You know, like obviously. People younger than that won't be really communicating with me on the internet very much. But. Well, I mean, I, I would understand if, um, if if she had said something along the lines of, we want to make it accessible because we want to attract children. We think yeah. that, that Chibi Robo has the ability to appeal to children, but it sounds like she believes the established audience already is mostly children. Yeah. Liam, it sounded like you... Yeah, were... I was just going to say, that's probably what was meant, what they meant to infer by that, you know, because mm-hmm. I, this, it probably just didn't come across with, like, the, the translation yeah. or something. Yeah, well, it's possible. But yeah, because, yeah, you know, I can see how a cute little robot character, how that could be attractive to younger audiences, but I, I don't know if I, I buy the existing Chibi-Robo audience being largely younger people. We've seen a lot of anxiety from Nintendo around trying to kind of bring their games to wider audiences. Uh, in particular, we saw them really bending over backwards with their 3D Mario games to try to make them appealing to people who could play 2D Mario and have largely avoided the 3D games. So it's possible that maybe what they're doing here is kind of flipping the the formula and taking a 3D game and saying, oh, we don't have a lot of people playing this 3D game. Maybe if we make it 2D, it'll reach a wider audience. And and sure, that doesn't really have anything to do with children, but uh, maybe that's really what the the mindset is. Well, mm. but at the same time, Nintendo's audience is so youth focused already. You'd imagine they would want to expand upwards in the age demographic, not downwards. M-rated Chibi Robo. Well, they <laughs> the gritty reboot. There's there is a legitimate problem today with uh, kids kind of not really coming to the Nintendo console in the first place. Well, right, but again, that's the whole mobile push. Yeah, well, there's there's mobile, but the sort of ironic thing about them trying to make a 2D game to appeal to kids is the most popular kids game is what? Minecraft? Minecraft. Yeah. A 3D game? <laughs> you know, saying mobile, that actually brings up kind of an interesting point. You know, they, they've said Ziplash will probably be the last game in the franchise if it doesn't sell well, which... It isn't. But, um, you know, mobile games are a lot cheaper to develop and, you know, they could attract that younger audience they're looking for. So if anything, I think maybe that would be the future of Chibi-Robo is trying some sort of experimental mobile game with it. I know, Colin, you might not love that, but... I mean, I'd like 3D Chibi-Robo adventure games, but I'd rather Chibi-Robo exist as a good mobile series than right. a series sure, at all. Yeah. I mean, Photo Finder would have been great there. Yeah, I was going to say, Photo Finder would be a great mobile game. Well, it's very it's very suited to mobile, too, because you have a robot who kind of goes everywhere, and you can mm. take him everywhere because he's on your phone. <laughs> That's funny. Huh. Nintendo's been distributing some demo codes for The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes, and the public can try it out. Unfortunately, we didn't get to play together like I had hoped we would, but I did get the chance to play online, and I had a really fun time. Um, have the rest of you had the opportunity to try it out? Alex, I know you were particularly sour on the game. So, I played it for about an hour earlier. I actually enjoyed it rather much compared to our experience at E3. I think us picking the fire temple dungeon was probably a bad move. <laughs> the hubris. Playing online was actually a surprisingly good experience. Um, I really liked the way that the, the emotes were, are used. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with those. Yeah, everybody seems to be like really enjoying those. Uh, my wife played it for a little bit too, and they, they really, really kind of helped her embrace uh, the, the co-op aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no substitute for a, a full-fledged Zelda game. Of course. And in many right. ways, it feels like it could have been a mode bolted onto a 2D or a 2.5D 3DS Zelda game rather mm-hmm. than like a standalone thing. And maybe that's something that they could do going forward. They can take assets from a base game and have a multiplayer dungeon sort of side mm-hmm. mode. But, you know, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did at E3, and that and that says something. That's um, good. That's good. Well, yeah, you know, I think not being on the crowded show floor surrounded by noisy yeah. people helps, too. It <laughs> makes it really hard to concentrate. Yeah, that was one of the big things we were talking about in our E3 discussion of it, um, was, you know, we none of us really felt like we got a proper 
understanding of the game. But, you know, here is the thing, though. Triforce Heroes is a lot of fun. You know, I've I've really enjoyed what I've played in the demo, and although we we didn't get a pre-release copy of the game to review for you listeners and help you decide whether you're interested, um, I've been hearing some pretty good things about it on the whole. But I do see where, sort of, you know, you were talking in the past, Alex. The boldest statement, probably, you've made was, is are they really trying to make a Zelda game here? Um, but, and I do see where you're coming from in that. Um, you know, looking at the Zelda brand, Triforce Heroes is a ton of fun. But, you know, a Zelda game should never stop at just fun. Like, it needs to be adventurous, it needs to be memorable, it needs to be evocative, and Triforce Heroes is just none of those things. So while it is a great game that you can pick up and play and really, really enjoy, it's just not on par with the rest of the series. Yeah, and in particular, you know, the, Mm. the sort of Dungeon Runner stuff works well, but it's missing that world at the center of it. Well, is that is that not something you get in the full game or probably not to the extent that most people would No, would be I believe expecting. what the full game is is there's like a hub town um but you, you the dungeon structure is still very much like a level oh, to level. Oh right, okay, like full swords. Yeah. Like the... yeah. Right, right. So I think a lot of people are going to look back on this in a few years and I think the general consensus is going to be that it's it's better than like Link's crossbow training, it's better than the Four Swords games. All great games by the way. I know I'm not knocking those, but you know, the experience that Triforce Heroes offers is very much a game. Whereas the titles that really define the Zelda brand, you know, your uh, your Ocarinas, your Wind Wakers, your Link puns of the days, uh, they're a lot more than that, you know. So it's okay that Triforce Heroes doesn't stack up. Yeah, but it's a spinoff. Yeah. Now it, this does also make me kind of positive about the prospect of dungeon running in future Zelda games, possibly even 3D Zelda games with friends or or with strangers online. Uh, because the the interaction between players and uh, in, even some of the combat scenarios, uh, when the ones that don't really rely so much on totem time, at least, uh, mm-hmm. were, were were really kind of fun. Actually, uh, I liked uh, running from Moldorm and sort of having one player distract it while the other players try to hit it. Uh, that was an, an interesting dynamic. Um, you have things like enemies throwing bombs at you, and you kind of have to team up to take them out, and that that was mm-hmm. fun. Um, so I could see a lot of scenarios like that uh, being present in future Zelda games that aren't focused on co-op, but perhaps offer some kind of co-op component. Yeah. And I think I've heard the single player is similar in that you can sort of, you know, as you switch from hero to hero, um, you're setting these things up in really cool ways. And I don't know if... So basically the levels are structured in this way that you can play them as just yourself, or you can go online and play them with other people. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that a full 3D adventure Zelda game would, would really be terribly well suited for that. You know, I I think that the, the dungeon structure and the puzzle layout in Triforce Heroes is very much something that you have to tackle with three, like, links. And so I don't... I, I, I can't see them integrating the co-op with the single player nearly as seamlessly in a 3D adventure Zelda as they do with Triforce Heroes. I could see it as like what you were saying, maybe another mode. Yeah, well, in particular, I think that would work well for 2D games where the the dungeon design really does have to change to accommodate multiple players. I guess I've played enough of these kind of action-adventure RPG sorts of games that do have co-op, but but there's no separate mode like Dark Souls, for example. Uh, where I've seen the way that 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 plays out, and I don't think it would be that much of a, a challenge uh, to adapt a 3D Zelda game. Just just to have another player drop in and kind of provide you some support. Okay. Well, and as always, to conclude the new segment of this week's show, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. If you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed above or anything you hear about in the upcoming lightning round, be sure to check them out at gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page you'll see all of these links. 
First up, we've got some recent releases as well as some upcoming dates to look out for. Yoshi's Woolly World is now available in North America and it got an adorable launch trailer. A new weapon is also available in Splatoon and the Mabel Amiibo is now available for pre-order. On October 20th, Gravity Falls Legend of the Gnome Gemulets releases on 3DS, while Just Dance 2016 and Guitar Hero Live launch on Wii U. Also on the 20th, Splatoon is getting a pretty decently big update to version 2.2.0. October 22nd, Fatal Frame Maiden of Blackwater launches in North America along with the latest Slenderman game on Wii U. October 23rd, game will start distributing Hoopa to UK Pokemon trainers and continue till November 5th. October 28th, Nintendo is holding their quarterly investors meeting. October 30th marks the launch of the Hyrule Edition new 3DS. It's also the European launch for Project Zero, which is called Fatal Frame in North America, and for the retail version of Shovel Knight, which North America gets on November 3rd. November 8th, the Villager Amiibo is getting a restock exclusive to Toys R Us, and November 15th, the Mega Yarn Yoshi Amiibo launches as a Toys R Us exclusive in North America, and December 4th, Mario & Luigi Paper Jam launches in Europe. And then a few general facts from last week and reminders for you. The Legend of Zelda Symphony of the Goddesses performed on Stephen Colbert's Late Show, and you can listen to it at Gamnesia. They are holding another tour for 2016 as well. Eiji Onuma hosted his own Let's Play for Zelda Triforce Heroes. Another Triforce Heroes trailer shows off some of the costumes, and Triforce Heroes lets you blacklist some obnoxious players online. Apollo Justice is starring alongside Phoenix Wright as co-stars of Ace Attorney 6. Fatal Frame Maiden of Blackwater features costumes of Zelda and Zero Suit Samus. Chibirobo Ziplash sold an abysmal 14,000 units at launch in Japan. DNA confirms that Nintendo is announcing their first mobile game soon. Tons more unreleased virtual console games have been discovered in the eShop. Monolith Soft is urgently hiring a ton of new staff. Japan is getting a Super Mario Maker costume based off the Mario manga. Nintendo says they don't need system sellers in their holiday lineup thanks to games they already have. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Someone's kept their Super Nintendo on for over 20 years to keep his save file from disappearing. Rare worked on a game that pitted Donkey Kong against Wario before they worked on Donkey Kong Country. The crazy Mario Hot Wheels we talked about some time ago are coming out this month. Japan is getting some adorable plushies of characters from Splatoon, and Amazon is offering a Wii U bundle with Splatoon, Mario Kart 8, and all Mario Kart 8 DLC. Uh, Also a cool gamepad protector for just $335. So that's it for this week's news segment. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a moment with lots more to talk about. Stay tuned. Everybody, we are back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant, Yo. Ben Lamoureux. How's it going, everyone? And by Liam Robertson, who you may know as Tamaki from Unseen 64. Hi, that's me. <laughs> I'm that one. <laughs> so we're going to be talking a lot about a uh, whole slew of stuff, including, you know, Liam's work at Unseen 64, uh, some Smash Bros stuff, because we're all big Smash fans, a lot of interesting topics. So let's see where it goes. 
So, Liam, you know, why don't we open off by, could you describe yourself and, and sort of what you do at Unseen 64, at uh, Nintendo Life, your part contributor? Uh, do you want to give us some more information uh, for the listeners on your involvement with these these things? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, I'm, I'm not, I haven't really decided on a title for myself, I guess, so it's <laughs> it's kind of kind of difficult to, like, s- like summarize in one little... <laughs> One little uh, nugget, what, uh, mm-hmm. but it, I suppose I'd just describe myself as like a, a writer researcher who looks into games primarily that were cancelled, unreleased, and uh, you know cut content from games is another thing that I'm big in looking to. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure if I if I have a, a title as such. But yeah, let's just go with like writer researcher, I guess. Okay, and I'm I'm a guy who talks to developers. Primarily former developers of of uh, of uh, companies that worked on games that were cancelled, and I ask them, you know, for information, and I kind of compile I compile all that together, and I release articles on sites like Unseen sixty four and Nintendo Life, just to you know I want to preserve as much of that information as I can, and in in a lot of cases, you know, get media out there as well. Half of it's information, half of it's getting pictures and videos and that kind of thing and then I I mesh it all together into a video and put it up um, on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different people, um, you know, uncover things like this. There's a lot of people that do research and try to find out about cancel games and such. But you seem to have a lot more regular access to this kind of info, or at least you're a lot more productive in in getting it out. Um, are are you just that much more aggressive than other researchers, or do you just have better contacts? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I. I I don't really, I, I don't really know how I compare myself to to other people because I don't know that many other people who do this. But I, I suppose I devote a lot of my free time to this. This isn't my day job. I work in like finance, which is boring as hell, and this is just some, <laughs> this is just something I do on the side as a hobby, I guess. But I, I it, it takes up most of my free time, let's say, and. I suppose it is a matter of just kind of determination and finding the right people. I didn't, you know, start off uh, getting things every other week. It was never like that. It was just like, it was kind of like a a slow burn at first, doing one or two things. But I I enjoy it so much that I I do it so regularly. And I I talk to developers pretty much every day of my life now, uh, trying to get new things. And although... You know, I I get annoyed. You guys are are like um, saying that you think I'm productive. Like I get annoyed that I'm not productive enough. And I'm always <laughs> pushing myself. I'm seriously working on like ten things at once. Mm. If it didn't take me so long to edit this stuff together and you know just be very thorough, I guess. It, I could. I think if I had more people, if I had like a team of people doing this with me, I guess uh, I would get stuff out there like every other day because it's not that hard. And I, I mean, yeah, I guess I just push myself a lot. It would be it would be the answer to that question. I, I, I devote a lot of, of of my time to it. So, could you? Uh, you said you wish you had sort of a team of people. Is Unseen sixty four not already a team of people, or are you mostly you know the one like most? thoroughly involved with it no well 
Unseen 64, there's a lot of confusion about that. Mm-hmm. It's not mine. It, it, Unseen 64 is, is years old. It's, it's nearly as old as I am. And, um, yeah, it's been around for many years. And I'm not, re- I wouldn't describe myself as the heart and soul of that. I'll be Luca, who is, uh, he's pretty much an unsung, an unsung hero of uh, Unseen 64, who put the whole site together with him and his friends in like the early 2000s, uh, mm-hmm. like late 90s. And so, yeah, I, I guess they are kind of my team, but uh, there are certain problems there in that they're, they're Italian, so there is a bit of a language gap, although they, they are very good English speakers. Uh, there's that issue, and, and also they're incredibly busy people, mm-hmm. so I don't get to talk to them a lot. So I kind of just, I'm, I'm largely on my own. I have friends in, in the industry and people who do this similar kind of work, like Andrew Borman from uh, Past to Present Online, which is another good website for this kind of thing, you know, looking into unreleased games. He he helps me, me more than they do, I guess. Although, yeah, they, they, it's not like uh, they, they we just never speak. It's just that we're all too busy to, you know... Um, I don't know, put our feet up and, and get a cup of tea or whatever, because, I don't know, we're, we're just very busy people. And yeah, so I, I I guess I have that team, but I just don't quite have access to them, I guess. I see. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what got you interested in this in the first place? You know, when did you start and what sort of what sort of drove you to say, I wonder if I can do my own research into this cancelled game? Well, I guess it was just like, there's a lot of games that I'd always wondered about, you know, what, what happened to them growing up. I remember, you know, Project Hammer was one of them and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and the Kid Icarus Wii game that I looked into recently. Th- th- these are all things that I kind of wondered about, um, you know, mainly in my teenage years. Just kind of curious, like, what what uh, what what is really going on and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So I guess it's kind of like a nostalgic kind of curiosity that gets me into this sort of thing, I guess. Uh, I, I look back on all these games that have, have been lost over the years and I, I just decide, hmm, I wonder which one I'll, I'll look into now. And mm. I, that's, that, I suppose, that little nostalgic tinge is kind of the, you know, the curiosity. And uh, just the, I want to preserve as much of that stuff as I can because I think uh, it would be good to have an archive for all of this stuff. I, I mean, I know the government right now is trying to stop us from doing that. They're pretty much actively, <laughs> actively p- pushing against us from preserving video games and that kind of thing. But I think it's a good cause if, uh, you know, in 10 years' time, people can still read about what happened to Project Hammer and, and, and all that kind of thing. I think that is a small victory if we can do that. Great, great. So you're working mostly on your your individual personal channel right now, um, and mm-hmm. you're you've got a Patreon, correct? Yeah, um, I I don't feel too great about plugging my Patreon. It's just like if if anyone wants to support what I do, okay. and it's not really for me to make money. I guess it's just right. Um, it's, it's sort of to help help your projects sort of get through. Yeah, it, it's to to help me keep going and. Just cover the costs of, of of stuff like hard drives for preservation right. and like capture equipment to make the videos better, I guess. But it's not. I'm not going to say to anyone, please go back me on Patreon or anything like that. But if you if you want to, it's uh, I believe it's Patreon.com/slash the one they call Tomahi, which sounds like some Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. I think like Tomahi was taken or something. So it's like. Okay, the one they call. Sorry, okay. Have we been mis- mispronouncing your your handle this whole time? What what did you Tamaki. say? Tamaki. Yes, it, it's 
Paul McGee. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> it's come up in like have four we, different episodes at least. <laughs> have Have you never seen um Uran High School Host Club? No, no, I've seen the first episode of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's where, that's, that's where that comes from. Uh, oh, I see. <laughs> I thought it maybe yeah. had some sort of connection to Tanuki or it has this oddly Japanese feel. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't Tom come McGee. up with that. Okay. But, yeah. Well, now everyone knows that we've been screwing up this whole time. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. I'm everyone sure we're screwing that. up a lot of Japanese names. Oh yeah, yeah. probably. Every, everyone does that. I don't. I don't bother correcting them. It's it's fine. It's whatever. It's <laughs> okay. it's it's not even not even my real name. If you were like saying <laughs> Liam Roberton or something, then I might correct you. But but whatever. It's not even it's not even my real name anyway. So yeah, what does yeah. It matter? All right. So let's move on. Liam, I know you're a big Smash Bros fan. <laughs> um, uh, but. Seriously, though, let's, uh, do we want to talk about Smash Bros? We've got a ton of, you know, there's a fighter ballot, there's a ton of rumors going let's around. Do it. I mean, it's, it's a rich time to talk about Smash Bros, so. I don't think we've ever made it through a podcast without talking about Smash Bros. No, we Bros. have, I, trust me, we have. It crushes my soul a little bit every time, so I know that we have. <laughs> <laughs> um, the three of us have talked a lot about the fire, fighter ballot, so Liam, what are your sort of thoughts on maybe who might win, or not win because it's really a suggestion box. But you know who might make it through, who they might add, who they might sort of say, well, "We're not really gonna put in Goku, no matter how many votes he got." <laughs> Obviously, it should be Vegeta. <laughs> um, well, I'm not really sure. I, I kind of go back and forth on a lot of different things, but I think uh, two of the front runners right now in the in the, in the rumor mill are uh, Inklings uh, from Splatoon mm-hmm. and uh, Shovel Knight. Which is mm-hmm. the thing that uh, I was going on about, like I don't know, it was a while ago now, wasn't it? It was like is August, it? Or, yeah. August or something. A that, while. that rumor came out. Yeah, that's forever an internet rumor time. Well, I mean, it's yeah. basically like prehistory. <laughs> yeah. So I think those are pretty safe front runners. Mm-hmm. There is an underground rumor right now. Um, I'm not sure how public this is, but that what was being said about it before some guy like spilled the beans on Twitter. I don't remember who it was. I'm not, I'm not really uh, that close to the kind of the smash rumor scene, mm-hmm. I guess. But one thing I heard was that, uh, there was some guy going around. I don't know if it was stealth or one of the, one of those guys, but they were saying that, uh, there was going to be like an inklings, uh, DLC announcement attached to a Splatoon direct. I mm-hmm. don't know anything about that obviously, mm-hmm. but, I mean that that's what was that's the word underground so I, I guess we'll we'll look out for that and I think if a Splatoon direct pops up all of a sudden this week then I I'll uh, be a little bit excited <laughs> I, I I don't know I I think there are certain holes in that like announcing a Splatoon direct and then making an announcement for a total different game that's narrowing down your your audience to a very small group of people who are still interested in Splatoon yeah. and saying oh here's this other product that a bunch more people will be interested in. I don't buy that Yeah well I imagine if they would make an announcement like that it would be just a general Nintendo direct cuz they've got Pikmin 4 they've got Twilight yeah. Princess HD they've got you know, other Smash DLC, I'm sure they would want to reveal. They've got the Splatoon. They've got Triforce Heroes to highlight. There's Mario Tennis, Paper Mario, Luigi, whatever. Yes, but at the same thing. at the same time, Colin, <laughs> Nintendo knows they don't have system sellers. They know they have old games. Don't forget. <laughs> well, you know, speaking, that speaking is true. of that, we, uh, we've talked a lot about how Smash Bros. is sort of used to leverage new um, franchises or just new games 
you know how they added like a Super Mario Maker stage and yeah. things like that. So you know one, one of the games they specifically mentioned when saying we don't have any you know new system sellers, but that's fine. Our old games will still push it. The big examples they gave were Mario Kart and Splatoon. So if they uh if they legitimately are counting on Splatoon as sort of a a system seller for Wii U, it would make sense to release the Inklings and in Smash Bros and sort of generate more Splatoon, more Inkling hype through one of their other big franchises yeah. in in time for that holiday push. Yeah. So Inklings it seems like are a pretty good bet. Um sounds like, you know, whether they are related to the fighter ballot or not. Do we want, let's talk about some other characters who are more closely related to the fighter ballot. Um, you know, I know two big names are King K. Rule and Isaac. Um, I know a lot of people are thinking Wolf will come back for Star, from Star Fox. People are maybe wondering about the Ice Climbers because they're a veteran. Um, nah. Or maybe just a solo popo. Um, nah. No? You don't think? Nah, that's not going to happen. Nah. Really? It's, it's, no, there's no way that's going to happen. That's... Only having one of them, like, just takes away the whole point of why that character's interesting. I mean, yeah, but, I don't know, I could see I could see Sakurai saying one is better than no ice climbers. I think I just, if that were the solution, they would have they they done, done something before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially since that was yeah, something that was specifically discussed during development, you know? it's a good point. So, I will say, for one of those names you mentioned, uh, Isaac... I know there's, it seems like maybe there's a lot of support for it, but I feel like it's more just a very small niche group that's being very vocal. And I I don't think Nintendo has really shown much interest in that franchise lately. So I see that as a just wishful thinking on on their part rather than actually something that Nintendo would likely be entertaining. Interesting. I mean, I think that Isaac is more wishful thinking because he's not popular in Japan. It's a very Western support. But I would say that Isaac's support from the West is pretty widespread among Smash fans. I think a lot of it has to do with his suitability as a Smash fighter. Um, yeah. He fits the, the mold very well. He has a uh, very unique yeah. sort of moveset that they could draw from. He's another protagonist of another adventuresome sort of Nintendo franchise, and they're running out of those for Smash. Yeah, and it's a great franchise that can work alongside Smash. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think he could be a good fit. I just, I don't know if uh, that that franchise really carries the weight anymore where it would be on Nintendo's priority list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. But that's why the fighter ballot might be the chance, but again, Japan doesn't really vote for him, so, you know. I, th- I think what a lot of people underestimate about like the way the characters are chosen is that if NCL doesn't actively care about that character, then they're not getting in. That's just how it is, and it, I don't I don't buy the, the the assertion that Isaac is one of those. Right. To be to be honest, like, he, well, he's in this weird kind of middle ground where you know characters like Duck Hunt. They obviously don't care about Duck Hunt anymore, but they want to promote that because it's a great slice of Nintendo history. Golden Sun is in this weird sort of like 12-year-old place where it's not really (laughs) retro and it was never really like a defining moment of Nintendo's history. Whereas characters like Mr. Game & Watch, like Duck Hunt, like Rob, those are those are like slices of Nintendo history. Whereas Isaac is more like just, you know, one of those characters that was around at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the reasons why um, I kind of hold on to the Shovel Knight rumor is because it is evidence that uh, NCL does like Shovel Knight quite a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they pursued uh, what, what's what they called uh, Yacht Club Games and said to them, we want you to be the first uh, third party to independently produce an amiibo. Did NCL you know. approach them and say that? Or was oh, that yeah. Yacht? That was not yeah. Yacht Club's decision. No, no, that was... Oh. Uh, they, they, they came after them, I believe. Well, I know NCL is publishing Shovel Knight in Japan. 
is that true? I've heard that several times. Maybe it's not. To the Google. I think that's a, I think that's just a rumor. I don't think they've disclosed who the okay. publisher is because it is being published on PS4 in in um, Japan. In Japan, I oh, think okay. that might kill it. I think that's that's just a popular theory right now okay. because a lot of people because then they're holding off on who who is uh, publishing the physical release. I think. Um, so I think there are a lot of people who think. You know, Nintendo has, has picked up the publishing rights for Shovel Knight, and that's why they've got Shovel Knight and Smash, and it's it's a whole it's a bit tin hotty for me. So, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but nonetheless, you do think that Shovel Knight is a very likely candidate? Yeah, I I don't I don't know if I could call it either way, but I I, I think it's it's more likely than not. I mean, the way the way your club has been has been so evasive and they've been even in public uh, even uh you know like uh pax i think it was when they unveiled the amiibo some guy there's a video of it on youtube he asks him like uh would you like to confirm or deny the shovel knight uh, thing about smash brothers what does uh, that's just got nothing to do with the amiibo has it and the guy was like oh well this this amiibo has nothing to do with shovel knight's status in smash brothers and one's like well that's not really an answer right that's, that's just that's just you saying well we're not it's just, <laughs> we're not going to answer your question yeah it's just right. classic classic question dodging and I just, yeah and, and the way they've been on twitter as well it's just it's too suspicious not to be not to have something behind it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's it's a full character. That's what the rumor right. says, but I, I don't know. I guess wait it out and see what yeah. happens. Okay. But I, I'm I'm more in the yes camp, I suppose. Okay, yeah, I could see like a me costume and a song or two, which would be the biggest I heartbreak. Think that'd be the worst possible situation. That, that would, oh, <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. But it would be a huge anticlimax. Really. Yeah, yeah. So going past any specific characters, one question that kind of took an int- I took an interest in kind of after the fighter ballot closed was, do we think Nintendo releasing the results of the fighter ballot would be a good idea or a bad idea? I think it'd be a good idea. I think it'd be I think it'd be fun and interesting, but I think it'd piss a lot of people off when their character didn't actually make it in. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Like the like results? when SpongeBob and Shrek are number one and two, <laughs> and they don't make it. To Smash. Maybe they maybe they list like the top ten or top twenty fighter ballot. There's no way anyone's keeping a list of that. I'm sorry. That would be like I don't I don't believe for a second that they're like tallying like which one is numerically the most popular and that kind of thing. I don't buy into that at all. It's it's you know as as you said it was a, it's a suggestion, suggestion box, box. <laughs> and I don't I don't buy. It's not. It's this isn't a democracy. This is Nintendo and Sakurai picking whatever one they want out of what the fans are saying. Really, I just don't see that. Whether or not they're keeping a list, I highly doubt they'd publish it. Just because you know they don't even publish like uh, when they update Smash Bros. They don't even publish like what changes they made to characters <laughs> and things like that. So I don't yeah, see them yeah. publishing something that could potentially yeah. lead to controversy if you know some of the higher ranked characters didn't make it in. And I'm not sure I could stomach how low Waluigi's going to be on that rank. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right, like yeah. they're not going to pub- they're not going to publish a list of here's what you could have won, and it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think about Banjo Kazooie? Because I know that's a big sort of a lot of fans really really want Banjo Kazooie. Um, I know you. I think we've had some conversations on Twitter about Banjo Kazooie before. But of course, Banjo Kazooie is owned by Microsoft, which isn't even just just a third party studio. It's a competitive console manufacturer. Mm. So what do you think? Any thoughts on Banjo and Kazooie in particular? Well, I think 
it comes it comes down to you know again NCL. How do they feel about it? And I think there's too much pride there from selling uh, their their shares and and. In rare and just burning. I think they're that too br- proud of sh- of selling share of selling. No, rare no, no. Now. I mean, I mean, there's 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 too much pride there among the board members that they would, you know, go back and uh, ask to get a character from my from Microsoft. I, I just, I just don't. That's just not going to happen. I mean, okay. I, I obviously, honestly, I would love that, and I think it would be a fantastic, like, totally left field thing. I know legally it's possible because you know Phil Spencer is the man, and he's saying, right. "Come on, guys, we, we'll let you have Banjo Kazooie." I don't think Nintendo would come crawling back to them. I think, I think, despite it, you know, despite if they do really well, because I know they're a, a front runner, not necessarily in the top two or three, but you know, certainly within the top ten. In sure. both Japan and the West, I, I I'm sure you know I I I'm sure the pop they're popular. I think it would be great. I just don't think Nintendo's there yet. I think okay they're too proud they're too proud as a company. You don't know what what they're like. They're it's a bunch of old men. You know they they <laughs> just they've got a lot of pride, and I just think they're too stubborn to let that happen. To be honest, I see. So even if so, sort of what I'm thinking, and I. I, I agree with you. I don't think Banjo and Kazooie are likely. I would love it to happen, but I don't think they are. But what I'm kind of seeing in the argument sort of for Banjo and Kazooie joining Smash is, you know, if they're doing really well in the fighter ballot, you know, that would be a huge potential moneymaker for DLC because a lot of people would want to come by Banjo and Kazooie as characters. Um, that would be like a huge sort of a huge left field, really hype worthy announcement um, among the mm-hmm. gaming community. So I can easily imagine them saying, well, you know, this actually might be a good move because so many people want this. So many people would really get excited about this and it would sort of represent that Nintendo 64 era that doesn't really have any dedicated, devoted representation in Smash Bros. But people really, really want and really, really love. You don't think that that will even come close to outweighing sort of everything you you just mentioned? No, and, okay. and especially because they will have to pay royalties to Microsoft for everything they make off that. I can't say that uh, I'm particularly hopeful that it will happen. Well, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I should say I'm, <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. Right. But at the same time, I never saw the Ryu announcement coming. That that caught me completely off guard. Oh, that's so, right, because Street Fighter Five is PlayStation exclusive already. Right. And yes, you know, Street Fighter Four was technically, you know, available on 3DS, but it was... It wasn't exactly a very popular version of the game. And it was so long ago that that happened. Right. I think one thing that distinguishes Ryu from Banjo-Kazooie, though, is that Ryu is a very Japanese character. And we've seen Nintendo's sort of attitude toward third-party representation in Smash has been very Japanese-centric. I know Shovel Knight kind of is breaking that mold, but Shovel Knight is also very much a throwback to retro, which Nintendo has been... Mm very aggressive yeah. about promoting in Smash. Uh, Banjo-Kazooie, kind of like Isaac, doesn't really fall in that category. And at the same time, he's a Western-created character currently owned and associated with a Western-created platform. So even Sony's Japanese, uh, despite their popularity in the West. Yeah, well, and another thing is, including Ryu, it opens up to the possibility, maybe, of attracting some Street Fighter fans that don't own Nintendo products to come yeah. try out Ryu and Smash Bros. I don't know if they'd attract very many, but at least there's that possibility. Whereas adding Banjo-Kazooie, I don't I don't really know that there's any people out there that wouldn't buy Smash Bros. that will once they know right. Banjo and Kazooie are going to Yeah. Now the thing the thing I also kind of see in Banjo-Kazooie is this is this weird moment where nobody who plays Xbox 
cares about them at all. Everyone who cares about Banjo-Kazooie is on Nintendo consoles and doesn't want to move away from Nintendo consoles. So that franchise is in this weird place where it would be a better asset for Microsoft if it were released as sort of a multi-platform thing. And it would obviously be a better asset for Nintendo if it was on Nintendo platforms at all, because that's what people want. So (laughs) I, I see this opportunity that I don't think they will take, but I think they absolutely should, where maybe Nintendo and Microsoft sort of collaborate on this individual franchise and let it sort of happen on, you know, maybe like Nintendo publishes it, Microsoft develops it, comes out on Nintendo platforms, Microsoft gets a ton of royalties, Nintendo gets all the people who want to play Banjo-Kazooie. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I just think that, that it's, it's this opportunity that would make the franchise so much healthier, would make it work for both companies, you know, coming out of this moment where it's not working for either of them. So yeah, I, th- I think this is, just an, this is just another classic, Nintendo should do this, it makes too much sense, and then they won't and do it. And then they never do it. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think yeah. The, one way, the one way it happens is if Banjo-Kazooie gets some kind of free release on Wii U. Uh, that's what I was going to say, Virtual Console, you know? We saw uh, a Metal Gear Solid port to 3DS, like, a couple years after Brawl came out. And I think that probably had something to do with Nintendo being reaching out to Konami for, for Snake in, in Brawl. Because otherwise, why would... Yeah. Why would you make remake a, a Metal Gear Solid game on 3DS? Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, but that that's that's really the only way I see it happening. Yeah, I I, don't, I get what I get what you guys are saying about like Ryu and Snake, but I don't think there's any point of comparison there. That's that's not that's like making a false equivalence. They're not direct they're, competitors to Nintendo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just not not only are the competitors, they're just the relationship is totally different. They have an ongoing relationship with Capcom and Konami. They don't with Microsoft. They they just they made yeah, the deal yeah. many years ago, and then that was that. And there's there's no. You know, there's no br- there's no bridge for them to to organize that. True. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think we've just cool. had like a ten minute discussion about Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> well, I mean, they deserve a lot more. <laughs> well, how many characters do we think might might come to Smash? I don't think you're going to get any more than three. Really, three new That's ones it. at least. Maybe some, maybe a, a couple more veterans. I would be very surprised. There, there, there can't be that much money left in the in the kitty at this point because it's been going for a while, like post development. And but also, you don't think you don't think they'll say like three veterans and three newcomers? I think that's too much work. Uh, I, I think. That cost it costs a lot of money. People don't realize it costs a lot of money to develop a character like that. And the more time goes on, the I think the more the the audience is going to drop off and that kind of thing. And do you think the money that they're pulling in from the DLC is is probably less than the uh, time and development cost going into it? I'm not sure. It, it, it um I I think they're they're probably breaking even on it. But I just I right. think it gets riskier as time goes on, and, and Nintendo is increasingly risk averse when um giving money to things. Trust me. And for me, I think the risk might be be less on the financial side of things, just because they're frankly overcharging for the DLC. But uh, and <laughs> yeah. more on the side of. Uh, how long can Masahiro Sakurai go for? Because you know he's not he's not in good health and he's right. he's overworked. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, I, it's the, there's the human cost of it as well. I don't I don't think they're going to keep him going for much longer on this. I think he deserves a, a very well earned break after this because he's been going like nonstop for how long now? Like three years, maybe. Yeah. I, I, it's been, it's been ridiculous. So. I guess if you think there's only three more, then who do you think it's going to be? 
Do you, can, do you think you can name the three? Just best guesses. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no. Um, Hot seat. I, I'm, I'm still not sure 100% about the Inklings thing, but let's put, if I had to pick three, let's put Inklings in there. Let's put Shovel Knight. Shovel Knight's the one I'm by far and away the most confident about, just because of the way everything's been. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one, I'm not sure. It would be a bit of a left field newcomer, I, I feel like. I don't think we're going to... You don't think it would be K. Rool? Um, I think they wouldn't have invested money into developing that me costume, you know, however little that cost to make. I don't think they would have done that if they were intent on making him a character. But, you know, we don't know for sure if that rules mm-hmm. him out. That's just me speculating. Okay. But I, w- I would guess that I would love that. And I think he is probably a good c- uh, contender for the next Smash Brothers game, but I don't think he will uh, make it into this. I-, I would be surprised by that. I'm asking because I know K. Rool is completely blowing competition out of the water uh, in both the Japanese and the Western polls. So that's why I ask about K. Rool. Who do you think might... Do you think Shovel Knight might be the ballot winner? Or um, the ballot character? Or is there another sort of character you might think instead of K. Rool? I, I think we're going to get at least, like, two or three ballot characters. I don't know where the Inklings rumor fits into all this. Apparently, this is, like, that's pre-ballot stuff. Right. I, I really I really don't know. But, you know, I, I'm really not sure about the third one. But I, I, I'm i going to go with, like, Inklings and, and Shovel Knight. But I haven't really thought it through okay. who, who, who that third one would be. Would, I think we're going to get someone who is, you know, totally out of left field. It'll be first party. So not, like, um, a veteran, like, Wolf? Nah, I think okay. they're gonna go all out for the for the final you know round of DLC. Yeah. I, don't, I can't say I can't see them simply. I think if they were gonna do Wolf, they would have done it by now. That's how I kind of feel about. Well, this. I think because Star Fox was gonna be in November originally. I was thinking Wolf would come out in November for a like Star Fox tie-in. Yeah, well, so... I, I I think I think for a while they've known that they weren't going to get uh, Star Fox ready for for that time. To be okay. honest. But, uh, yeah, that's just, uh, just how I feel about it. Okay. They must have known that it wasn't going to be ready for November. It was just okay. that final call was made, you know, fairly recently. Right, right. Okay. So do you want to talk about any of the uh, projects you've been, wor- uh, like, you've you've recently uh, sort of uncovered? Like Kid Icarus or, or Banjo-Kazooie Game Boy, like, on the Game Boy Color, Mario Spikers or uh, the Metroid game from Next Level? Yeah, sure. Where do we start? I don't know. Uh, wherever anyone's interested in. <laughs> which which uh, new discovery was the most exciting for you, or maybe like the most uh, unexpected? Oh, um, I don't know. To be honest, it's it's rarely out of the blue with with this kind of thing. You know, I have an idea of what I'm looking for, but I'm I'm working on something right now that's quite surprising. I suppose like the the Kid Icarus stuff is 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 quite. Uh, a surprising thing. I think uh, what really happened with like the, the fate of Project Hammer was something that quite shocked me. So I, I, I probably, I probably go with that because that was something that I did. I looked into myself, and then it turned out there was this really like dark outcome to what happened to that game and how, how like a, a lot of uh, NST, you know, drifted apart because of what happened to that game. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done any digging into uh, Metroid Dread? Yeah, a little bit. I've done a video called, I think it was something like Met- 
Metroid development insights or something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys want to link that or not. I talked a bit about Metroid Dread and that, and it, I was just basically saying that I spoke to someone who had seen Metroid Dread firsthand. It was shown behind closed doors, and people didn't know this at the time, but it was it was shown behind closed doors at I think E3 2009, and essentially it was this very early prototype that, according to this guy, looked like just like Metroid Fusion but on DS and uh, hmm. the top screen you know basic kind of sprite style and the bottom screen was just a map and that was pretty much the most anyone's ever seen of it outside of um you know NCL itself I I spoke to Craig Harris I don't know if you guys know that guy he was the uh, former like uh, head of IGN's Nintendo people he worked there during the time that Metroid Dread was a thing, and he he says that he saw he said to me that he's seen some kind of like uh, like plot synopsis of it, although he couldn't remember any of it when I asked him about it. So I I I, I trust him, but uh, I I I know that they were, they were showing like very select members of the press something like a I don't know like a plot summary of what it was going to be. I know I know it was going to be set after Metroid Fusion. I I guess it was just kind of shaping up to be like the the 2D Metroid of the DS, like Metroid Fusion, and there isn't really a whole lot to it. It uh, went it was in development hell for a while, and I think by the by like around 2010 it was just dead in the water. And mm. for whatever reason, maybe they couldn't get NCL to invest in it, or it just wasn't shaping up the way they were hoping for. It just didn't materialize for whatever reason. Who was developing Metroid Dread that couldn't get NCL to invest? in it potentially i don't know well, i can't remember the the name of it but it was when ead was a thing and um it i think it was like the the second team at ead i don't i don't okay. really remember but it was the one that normally did metroid and it had like sakamoto attached to it and that huh. kind of thing the people who made metroid fusion i think that's really unfortunate to me because fusion is my favorite of the 2d metroids and i, I really thought it was interesting how it sort of seemed to set up a conflict between samus and the galactic federation at the end so yeah, a, uh, a direct sequel to fusion would have been perfect for me that's you know exactly <laughs> what uh what i would love to see and you know we haven't gotten another 2d metroid since then other than zero mission yeah and there have been a lot of uh metroid projects that have fallen through there's that one from next level games that you uncovered liam um, there's, there's one, didn't, someone else recently had sort of tried to pitch a Metroid game to Nintendo that Nintendo sort of said, no, we're not going to let you do that. Yeah, that, that was me as well. <laughs> okay. It seems like a lot of these Metroid projects are sort of getting kickstarted a little bit and then just completely falling flat. What's sort of happening with NCL and Metroid? Does it, are they, are they hesitant to invest in Metroid? Well, NCL just in general is extremely risk averse, especially with projects like uh, Project Hammer, which r- wasted an enormous amount of money. You wouldn't believe how much money w- that they invested in that before it, uh, before it tanked. So yeah, as I say, they're very, very risk averse, and uh, especially with uh, pitches. Let let me explain how how like how this kind of works with like first party things. What normally happens? What happens with retro studios, for instance? They get like three chances to pitch a project, right? They 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 go to them with their ideas for like original properties. Uh, I don't know, just just games in general, and they and they say we want to do this, and they get like two or three shots, and if they don't get it, then NCL just they get one of their creative like heads to just like give them a safe project that they deemed that will be you know like safe to develop that. Right. So yeah, they're, they're very 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 careful 
Uh, not just it's not just a Metroid thing. I know there's like a lot of people who think, "Oh, Nintendo's scared to make a Metroid game." Until and it, it's not just Metroid; it's everything they're like that with. Um, and it's but getting, Metroid is just a little more risky because of the low sales numbers history. Mm, I I think that might be a, a factor in it. I don't think Nintendo is is, is that bothered about it. It, it it's it's sort it's sort of hard. I think we could see a Metroid project um, materialize within the next few years. I know a lot of people are under this impression that uh, Nintendo is not listening to people with Metroid and they're holding back on doing new Metroid projects. For all we know, they could be doing one right now. They could be, you know, extensively planning one. It it just takes a while to materialize, and I think I'm pretty sure they are working on one. Uh, they've seen the fan demand; it's definitely there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Miyamoto. Did- that poll uh, a while back and metroid just by far was the the most wanted game on wii u yeah so i i think they're they're very protective of metroid when they want i i was sort of thinking like a while ago you know my theory was they, they want to bring it back in style and they did federation force so it's it's kind of <laughs> yeah it's kind of mixed messages but it's a combination of them being very risk averse not wanting to up metroid again and just simply like when are their creative people going to be free right um I think this is... Uh, I have to be careful about what I say now. I, I think Retro would have... Be ma- they would be making Metroid Prime 4 right now if Tanabe wasn't doing Federation Force. I, I I have to be very careful about what I say here, but um, I, I think the kind of... The, the opportunity has been there and and i i i I think i feel like we will get a metroid game one way or another whether it's retros doing it or not um i'm 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 being really careful not to say what i let me just say i think there is the potential that there is a metroid game in development it's whether we see it like next year or the year after i think they're always working on new metroid stuff and a lot of the time it just doesn't materialize for one reason or another and i think it's down to just them largely just being very risk averse as i've said i'm just i'm just repeating myself now so yeah (laughs) We'll, we'll go on so as we were talking about Nintendo being sort of risk averse with Metroid in particular, uh, and I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, one of the things that kind of came to the forefront of my mind was Federation Force, because on the surface it seems like, oh yeah, we're making a new Metroid Prime game. That's that's what people want. But then you kind of look it's at called Metroid Prime. You look at how it's kind of materialized and how it's shaping up, and it it just doesn't really look like like a Metroid game. So I'm curious what your read is uh, on you know why Federation Force is taking the form it is and uh, what Nintendo's thinking if their approach has historically been so risk averse. Uh, why are they making a game that seems to be such a radical departure in in a lot of ways? I don't think they see that they don't see it that way themselves. Yeah, I I don't think they 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 at all foresaw this like enormous backlash to Federation Force. I think they were just kind of like. <laughs> this is all this is all coming along nicely and then they were just like appalled and shocked by the the backlash to that i know someone at at next level was thinking like they they didn't really think that was going to happen and i get the impression they were just ignorant to that that kind of backlash because i think if there were there was a lot of metroid games coming out right now that wouldn't have happened yeah but it was just it 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 was the timing of it and that kind of thing and i think huge metroid drought Right. Yeah, I think it's just it's just kind of general ignorance to what the what the audience wants. I think they they just kind of see this as it's a Metroid game. Why aren't you happy? <laughs> I I think I genu I genuinely think that they don't fully understand it, or or they didn't 
up air before, you know, whatever happened, happened. Yeah, well, I remember they didn't understand it when Wii U came out, and they gave us new Super Mario Bros. U, and uh, when everyone was asking for a 3D Mario at launch, and they said, we're giving you a Mario game at launch, what are you wait? like, why are you so upset with us? And <laughs> they didn't get it, it was because it was just a game that we had played two years before. Yeah. yeah. Nintendo, Nintendo fans are notoriously like that, they're like, when they bring out Zelda, they're like, "Where's Metroid?" And when they bring out Metroid, they're like, "Where's Star Fox?" It, it they're like, that they. I think Reggie said it before. They're kind of insatiable more than other fans, and I get that. But it's just because it's because Nintendo has so many properties. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think I think Nintendo just still doesn't quite grasp the way fans think. I guess. Yeah. It, it's my kind of theory. I think it is just a general kind of ignorance. In Japan, I, I guess to to what everyone wants, um, yeah, I just don't think they get it. You look at what's going on outside Nintendo. You have it seems like overload from a lot of other franchises, uh, in particular stuff from from multi platform sort of third party franchises. And then on the on the on the film side, you have all these really aggressive film franchises where they're releasing like a film every year or two, uh, and you you don't really mm. get that from Nintendo's franchises. So I, that that might be where that frustration is coming from. Mm. And of course, they don't have unlimited resources, but you know. So I'm wondering, you mentioned Retro. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, they, they finished Tropical Freeze in 2014, and I saw you commenting on Twitter that they've tried a couple of projects since uh, finishing Tropical Freeze. And thinking about what you said on the, uh, you know, if a company tries a couple times with their original idea, then Nintendo's just going to step in and give them something that's yeah. safe to work with. Do you think Retro's working on something safe right now? I know they're not. Well... Well, let me let me be very careful about what I'm saying. Yeah. There. What I mean, what I mean there is that the Retro's current project was something they pitched. Okay, is what I mean. That's what I mean to say. Um, I it, it might be it might be a safe thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't I don't actually know what the project is exactly. Uh, but I know that it was something that Retro themselves pitched. Retro, you know, I, as you were saying that you were quoting me off Twitter, I was saying a couple of days ago, and I've held that under my hat for a while, but, they, you know, they came off uh, Tropical Freeze in, like, very late 2013, I think it was, and they continued throughout 2014 pitching new projects. There were there were some issues at Retro, which I won't go into, and then they eventually pitched a project that went through an NCL greenlit, and I assume that's what they're doing now. Okay. Uh, by all accounts, it is. So yeah, it 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 isn't as uh, it isn't as as you say a, a safe thing. As in, like it's not something NCL in, gave them. Right. Yeah. As in, like you know, we get that you want to do Metroid Prime Four, but here's another Donkey Kong Country game you can. Do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think Retro wants to do um, Metroid Prime Four. No, I don't think so. I do think, you think they that... want to do another Donkey Kong Country. I don't know. I, I don't know about that. But I don't think... I'd, I'd be surprised if Retro themselves pitched uh, Metro Prime 4. I think they've kind of... Uh, they've kind of had that. They've had their fill of, of Metroid. And if it is Metroid, then it will be something... You know, it will be something different. Like maybe a 2D one or something mm-hmm. something different from Prime. Right, right. Do you think Retro might work on an original IP at some point? Or maybe multiple projects at once? Yeah... Um, they they definitely have the facilities to work on multiple projects. Um, well, that's kind of like two questions. So I'll answer the I'll answer sure. that one first. Uh, yeah, I think they they have the potential to work on multiple projects, but I feel like the money isn't there for them to okay. be. Because uh, 
people don't realize, but Retro is like one of the priciest studios for them to maintain. And I kind of don't, I can't see them like letting them do two projects at once. I see. I think, like, as far as I know, they have one NCL producer with them right now, and I don't, I couldn't see it. this person overseeing both of them. I think mm-hmm. this person will be doing one, and, uh, yeah. And okay. uh, you, you were saying, could it be an original property? I think, actually, it, the, the time is now, I, I think, for, for Retro to do an original property. You know, they've done two established Nintendo uh, franchises. They've done Metroid yeah. and Donkey Kong. And I think now is the time to, you know, let them take hold of the reins a bit more themselves and, and do that. And I think if it is something they've pitched themselves, then that does make it more likely that they uh, that they pitched... An original. An, an ori- yeah, something okay. original. Okay. Well, and then also, we... We've seen with Splatoon, Nintendo, Nintendo has proven that with proper marketing, they can take an original new IP and actually have it sell as good as or better than some of its established IPs. Like, you know, Splatoon has sold around 2 million copies, which is incredibly impressive for a new IP on Wii U. And in Japan in particular, it's actually selling at a faster rate than both Mario Kart and Smash Bros. So Nintendo mm-hmm. is, is um, they're pretty cautious about new IPs, and they you know like to leverage their established franchises heavily. But with Splatoon's incredible success early on, I would hope that maybe that would open them up a little bit to letting some of their teams, especially you know Western teams like Retro, um, yeah. experiment a little and try something new. I would hope so, but I think Codename Steam evens that playing field. Well, yeah, but Codename Steam also I don't think got anywhere near the uh, like the marketing push of a Splatoon or anywhere near no, as no, no, much of care course and not. time and development. My my point is just I don't know that and you know I, I obviously don't have as much experience as, say, Liam, to say something like this, but I, I get the feeling that Nintendo doesn't see it quite in the way of if we make a really ex- insanely polished game and then market the hell out of it, it will be successful versus, you know, I think they sort of more see it as, like, Codename Steam did terribly. We have no idea why. You know, <laughs> and maybe and maybe I'm completely off the mark there. I don't know. I think like retro. If anyone does deserve the chance of of doing their own property, yeah, yeah. because they they really are like Nintendo's like biggest Western Western developer, and uh, you know, with NST not what it was. I think. Now's the time to let them do that. Do you think yeah. uh, Retro currently has the level of prestige within, not necessarily within Nintendo, but certainly within sort of the eyes of where Nintendo strategically wants to go uh, with NX to have them perhaps push a Retro project at the start of a, at the launch of a new platform or close to the launch of a new platform? Maybe. Uh, I mean, that would line up with like the timeline of when they started it, because if they started it in like around like August of 2014, I think was around when this, you know, like proper development went, you know, when the pitch went through, um, I suppose that could line up uh, with, with, with what I've heard. Uh, a new IP on uh, the on whatever the the next platform turns out to be. I think it's a possibility. It it depends. It depends really like when they're launching this yeah. this new thing because we, we don't right. know for sure when that will be. Right. Do you think Retro might be working on a more westernized kind of IP, like something more like along the lines of Uncharted or or you know like a first person shooter or uh, The Witcher, rather than something more traditionally Nintendo, a two D platformer? I think I think um, it will be probably you know just intrinsically a Nintendo thing. I mean, even okay. like the things you, you say that, but 
all of the things they've done have been very like Western oriented, like Met- Metroid Prime. Well, Metroid uh, Prime, I think, is 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 more in the direction I'm going with this, actually. Yeah. And, and you e- know, I don't even, think that's even, traditionally Nintendo in the way that that like Donkey Kong is. Even Donkey Kong Country is, you know, that's a fully Western thing. That's rare made that, and uh, you know, I, I get I get what you mean. You mean something more kind of tr- traditional to the Western audiences. That, yeah, that, that break that breaks out a little more of Nintendo's mold of like this is, you know, okay, they're just going for nostalgia. They just want to, you know, recapture the '90s, or they just, you know, they're, they're yeah. trying to attract kids. Something more alongside the lines of Metroid Prime that's really more forward thinking, more more sort of mass market appeal. Now, now, now that you say that, I think that's that's kind of a possibility if it is an original property because if you remember i don't know how uh i don't know how keen your knowledge of like retro studios history is but way back when before they did prime like they they pitched a bunch of like uh of their own properties to nintendo like they were going to do like an american football game they were going to do like a car uh like a vehicular combat game there was there was something called just action adventure which was <laughs> like the which was this like uh third a uh, uh, first person like space combat game uh so yeah i i think if they are doing an original thing then it's likely to be very you know western um Combine all those ideas. Here we are. Retro Studios is making a Mock Rider reboot. <laughs> That's yeah. I've heard I've heard someone uh, someone like speculate that on Twitter a few days ago. And I was like, what the. <laughs> Really? Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> but, uh, that would be an ill-timed move, I think. Why is that? It's a matter of looking where the Western market is right now, you know? Like, like Nintendo's biggest problem with attracting third-party developers is that they're making all these games in categories that third-party developers don't really play in. And so, of course, those games aren't selling on Wii U, and so third parties aren't going to be coming to Wii U because the games they're making aren't selling. Wait, Hold but, on. Uh, when, when did they play American Football and Mock Rider? Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it was just the second two ideas. I, I suppose I should have asked this earlier when we were talking about uh, Banjo and Kazooie and Smash, but I was wondering if you've if you've ever done any digging into, you know, some rumors of, like, characters that have been cut from earlier Smash Bros. games before we got data mining, like, in Brawl with, uh, you know, the Forbidden 7 and stuff. Mostly in 64 and Melee, there are a lot of rumors that, like, uh, they were planning to have, like, Mewtwo and, like, Meowth and, like, James Bond in Smash 64... Really? And I know, and I know, yeah, and I know there are rumors uh, that people claim to be like proven true, but I've never seen any evidence that uh, you know. One particular example is that Banjo and Kazooie were supposed to be in Melee, and then they reused some of that uh, planning to to create Duck Hunt for Smash Four. Um, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, <laughs> people love to compare like the Duck Hunt dog thing with Banjo Kazooie, and it's just like. In a very loose just, sense, in, in, perhaps, in, but yeah, yeah, right. it, that's such a that's such a loose connection. I don't buy that thing that you've just said right there about the right. the, the rumor about them somehow using planning from way back in the N sixty four days. That's just no, right? They, they 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 built everything in Smash Four from scratch. I think they've even said they couldn't just uh you know with like even Meta Knight, even though he has like the same voice clips and the same moves and that kind of thing, they couldn't just you know port his stuff over from a previous one. Oh yeah, I, di- I didn't 
didn't mean code. I meant like you know, like oh, here's how they'll work. Here's the you know the the aerial moves and stuff. And now I'm not saying I agree with you. I don't think that's true because people are just sort of asserting these facts as facts and then not really <laughs> backing them up. And I haven't been able to find any you know sort Welcome of public evidence that says well, <laughs> yes. And I haven't been able to find any sort of like public evidence that really says you know yeah, Meowth was planned to be in Smash Bros. 64. But you'll see it on even like wiki entries that you know, really? in the trivia section and stuff. Yeah, and so I'm wondering if you've ever seen stuff like that and done your own digging and 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 and, and verified any sorts of interesting tidbits like that. Not really. Um, okay. I Smash Brothers is not something like I'm that I like look into on the content side a lot. I mean, I I know uh, my friend uh, Push from uh, the Smashboards and uh, Source Gaming. He's going to be like doing some articles for Team Sixty Four on on just that, like uh, cut content from the Smash games, and maybe he'll uncover some uh, some things. He's pretty well connected, but I think. Generally, with Smash Brothers, you won't uh, get stuff unless you like find it like in the f- in the data of the games, or if like a developer comes out and publicly publicly says it, because it's just it's really hard to get hold of people on that side. Right? Uh, there's a bit. There's like an, just a, a fortress between us and Sora and Sakurai and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've got some listener questions. Some people sending questions uh, in the comment section on the site. Uh, so Lucio asks, "How do you get the scoops?" I think we kind of talked about that in the introduction. Yeah, yeah. just uh, talking to developers mainly, and sometimes they come to me. But generally, me going out there finding people's like resumes and portfolios, and you know, trying to get in contact with them, and just straight up asking them. Uh, yeah. Well, as uh, as you've been doing this for a while and sort of gaining more uh, more notice as you you know broke some pretty big stories and things like that, do you find that it's easier for uh, to to get developers to open up to you now than it was you know maybe a few years ago? No, I'm not really like I'm not I I've no kind of status. I don't I don't like like waltz in and be like. Hey, I'm this guy. I never actually <laughs> announce who I am when I, I get in touch with people. I just say I'm just like a curious guy who's looking to find out some info and then um maybe you'll give it to me. <laughs> it's it, I never I never like say I'm a writer or whatever because that just scares people off. They don't want to talk to writers and reporters who are trying to get a scoop or whatever. I just say I'm a researcher or whatever, I, I'm I'm looking, I'm interested um, I think as I've gotten more more of an audience, what has happened is that I've had more people come forward to me. That's been a benefit of it, but it's not like I. It doesn't benefit me in any way when I'm going out and looking for that myself, which is generally the case when I'm looking for something. Okay, right. so we've only got one more uh, listener question that hasn't sort of already been answered as we've just been talking, you know, throughout the show. Uh, but Ira asks, what inside information do you have about the cancelled Kirby games on GameCube or Wii or DS that ultimately became Return to Dreamland? That game, I think it was just called, well, you have, like, Kirby's Adventure on the on the NES, and the, the, the GameCube one was just called Kirby Adventure, and um, that's kind of, like... The ent- the original concept isn't entirely intact. There are certain differences about it, but I think like the the bulk of that game became the what the game on the Wii Return to G- Dreamland Wii or whatever that was called. So yeah, I think it 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 generally um, eventually it was shelved for a long time, and I think. A lot of the creative force might have moved around at Nintendo since that game was shelved on the GameCube. I think it was just a matter of that, like the the creatives moving around. It wasn't 
You, you, you get you get what I mean, right? It was yeah. They had an idea that a certain group of people were developing on the GameCube, and then years later they revisited it with a different and, group of people. Yeah, with a different group of people. So that's just like a different group of people's take on a on an old idea. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know, Kirby Adventure for the GameCube originally had this idea where, uh, like, one of the concept pieces of concept art has like bonkers leading a totem pole of like a golem, like a rock golem, and something right. else, and Kirby's on the top. That sort of totem thing obviously was revisited later in Triforce Hero, but first in <laughs> Kirby's Return to Dreamland. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, going back to this the, this question, uh, what, what the, the this person asking it, I believe, is that um, there was actually a, like a, a lot of different like concepts for Kirby games and pitches and that kind of thing laying around at that company. Uh, that mm-hmm. kind of I don't really know specifically what a lot of them were. There was there was a lot of them, you know, like somewhere like around ten or twenty of them, of these different like Kirby game oh, uh, wow. concepts. Yeah, like a lot a lot of it is like kind of very vagueish stuff. And right, I think, not nearly as developed as the GameCube. One. Yeah, sure, and a lot of it was just like rough kind of gameplay ideas. Um, but I believe more or less all of that has manifested itself since. Either in the the Wii game, uh, Kirby Return to Dreamland or whatever that was called, and the one on the the, the 3DS uh, primarily absorbed a lot of those ideas. If we want to use a, a Kirbyism there, um, so yeah, I think I think I think most of m- most of uh, the, uh, the those kind of like lost concepts were not really lost. They were kind of they eventually manifested themselves in the 3ds game uh so so yeah i don't really think there's there's a lot to look into on that side now uh, apart from you know the fact that it's incredibly difficult to do that but yeah right right all right so everybody thank you so much for listening this is the endo nintendo week for today if you like this podcast please subscribe to us on itunes or subscribe to us on youtube at gamnesia tv for bite-sized discussions from the show and please head to itunes to leave us a review it really helps with visibility so we greatly appreciate it especially if you have good things to say instead of bad ones we're at about 33 reviews right now let's shoot for 40 uh so so get them in if you if you want to help us out if you have feedback for nintendo week please send it to colin at gamnesia.com and remember to send in your questions about nintendo about our show we love engaging with you guys and we read them and talk about them here on the show so it's a great way to get involved again that's colin at gamnesia.com c-o-l-i-n at g-a-m-n-e-s-i-a.com if you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff you can head to gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens we've got sony microsoft indie you name it and even nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show and liam where can they see more from you i'm on twitter at at doctor underscore cupcakes that's the full uh, word doctor <laughs> where did that come from by the way i really love that handle i i don't know really i can't really remember <laughs> it just happened. um it, yeah it's just a thing that happened i guess i, I must have just randomly came up with that <laughs> one day um, and I'm, I'm on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash unseen64tomaki. You can also get me at uh, youtube.com slash Productions. Again, I'm, I'm on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash the one they call Tomaki. I should really try to find a way to unify all of these. It's quite confusing, but yeah. <laughs> That's all right. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week in this year's Spooky Month.
I would hope so, but I think Codename Steve. Codename Steve, that, that's... Codename that Steve. Be, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, going obscure. 